Hello and welcome back to this week's edition of Sony Music's Time to Talk. We decided going through the vaults we'd do a few special episodes where we focus on particular Australian songs that really resonated with Australian people. Uh, in this episode, we're covering a very important song that really changed Australia for the better. It's more than a hit and it's more than a protest song. It's a song that brought about social change. It brought a better understanding of what our returned soldiers from Vietnam had been through and what they were still going through. Everyone probably remembers when they first heard Red Gums, I Was Only 19. For me, I remember being a school kid at assembly and a girl who'd worked at the local record shop got the song early, transcribed the lyrics and read them out to us on Anzac Day. I remember sitting there thinking what a powerful story. It was even more powerful when I finally got to hear Red Gums' record. A massive part of why the song is so successful is how we as an audience connect to it. We can hear that John Schumann is a great storyteller. The song also connected to Vietnam vets themselves. It became an anthem, but there was an authenticity in the storytelling itself. This episode is about a man who backed himself to tell a story and who ended up giving away all the royalties from his biggest hit to help those who needed it the most, the returned veterans from Vietnam. What we're sharing with you today is not only the story of the song, it's the story of a band breaking up. They couldn't get their songs on commercial radio or Countdown, and they decided to give it one last roll of the dice, and it brought about a career-defining moment. This is the story of Red Gums, I Was Only 19, as told by the man who wrote it and sang it. Here he is, John Schumann. I Was Only 19 was very much, very much based on the conversation that I had with my brother-in-law, Mick Storen. You know, it was about him, about him and his mates. And had he not had the courage to step outside what was then the closed circle of Vietnam veterans and tell his story in all its detail to a singer-songwriter in a left-wing folk rock band from Adelaide, who knows where Vietnam veterans would be today. Ah, uh, you know what they say, it takes nine years and 15 minutes. Um, and it was a bit like that. I think I was exploring the notion you know, in my subconscious for, uh, for quite a number of years. When I interviewed Mick Storen, that was about a three or four hour episode, maybe four or five hours actually. I ended up with quite a number of cassettes and a Walkman, which I had with me uh, on the road. And I used to listen to that story or our interview, our, our conversation over and over and over again. In the band, bus, in taxi cabs, airports, motel rooms, backstage, wherever I wanted to just lose myself and get away from the rest of the band, I'd put these headphones on and listen to this conversation over and over and over again. When I actually came to write the song, I remember very distinctly it was a Sunday morning. I was sharing a house with my friend David Sire, and I remember I went out into this, this tiny little Carlton backyard with a cup of coffee, a full scat pad, I think it was a red biro, my guitar, packet of Marlborough Red, and I reckon I wrote, I was only 19 in 15 minutes. I've written songs of which I am as proud as I am of I was only 19 that have taken months. This one was, you know, it was almost like I was a conduit for something, something bigger than me, something more important. I try to find those tapes and I can't find them. I remember when I was having that conversation with Mick, I, instinctively I pushed him for the detail. I wanted to get a sense of everything. Things like Vung Tao riding Chinooks to the dust at Nui Dat, for instance. I wouldn't have known that they 
came over by ship, they landed at Bung Tau and they got transported to Nui Dat by Chinook. When we think of Asia, we think of, you know, everything sort of dark and, and damp and, and humid and moist, when in fact Nui Dat was a very dusty place because they had chopped down all the vegetation and they sprayed the vegetation to keep it clear so they had line of sight. So it was a very dusty place. I'm pretty sure that, that conversation I had with Mick very, very much informed detail that underpins the song. And it's the detail that gives the song its credibility with veterans. There's absolutely no doubt about it. I mean, why K-San, which is a great song, and, and do not do not misunderstand me, I have great respect for Don Walker as a writer, as good as it is, and it is a very good song, wasn't actually owned by veterans, was for a whole host of reasons. I got the detail right, and Don didn't. Uh, for instance, Australians uh, didn't fight at K-San. K-San was the siege of an American firebase way to the north of where Australians were operating. We weren't at K-San. When Chisel sang about the trials and tribulations of a returned veteran, quite a bit of it he sort of got right just by his observation, but he didn't get the in-country bit right. I got the in-country bit right, and that's why I think the veterans uh, embraced my song to a much greater extent than they did K-San. In fact, quite a number of them almost refused to believe that I didn't go to Vietnam. On the first tour that Redgum did after I'd written it, Mick Storen had given me permission to include the song in the set and it was really going down a treat. It was, you know, the effect on the crowds who came to see Redgum were, 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 it was quite remarkable. I got to Bega and I went to see Frank Hunt as asked by Mick Storen, Frank Hunt. Was, is the bit player in the narrative. He's the one who, who kicked the mic uh, and introduced myself. Frank, I don't think, was all that impressed. He's a very conservative ex-soldier from the Mallee, you know, and I'm sort of some left-wing firebrand with long hair and long beard. But anyway, I played in the song and he was absolutely knocked sideways by it. And Frankie swung in behind the promotion of the song and, and really was, you know, quite instrumental in its early success. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And Frankie was doing that because he wanted to help his fellow veterans. He, you know, he saw this was, this was the perfect way to explain to the rest of Australia what was happening to its Vietnam veterans. But the next town on the tour was Batemans Bay and Michael Atkinson, who was the other songwriter in the band, knocked on the door of my motel room and came in and informed me that the band had had a meeting which I found quite fascinating because I thought I was in the band, so I wondered why I wasn't at that meeting. But uh, the band had had a meeting and they decided that they didn't want to record I Was Only 19 as a single. The, the point about it being recorded as a single was we, we were in the process of paying off our least successful album at that time, which was Brown Rice and Kerosene. We didn't have any more songs and we didn't have any money to record them with. So in fairness to Michael, I, I think the band didn't actually want to go out on a, on a limb with another single, um, which we would essentially have to fund. Uh, and I said to him, well, I'm going to record it. It'll be a Red Gum song, but you don't have to worry about anything. I'll do it myself, which I did. So when we did come to record it, the only other person in Red Gum who actually played on the track was uh, Hugh MacDonald, who played violin and sang. What is not generally known is that we had decided to break up. I put I Was Only 19 in the can without the rest of the band. We recorded a live album, caught in the act at the Three Weeds in Roselle, and that was going to be the band Swan Song. And I was going to get married and come back to Adelaide and resume my teaching career. 
be perfectly frank, I wasn't in Australia when it came out. I do remember it had just been released as a single. It was just beginning to get a little bit of airplay. I remember we played at the Chevron Hotel at St Kilda one Friday night and into the dressing room walked Keith Fowler, who was the music programmer for 3XY, which was the lead station, AM station in the country at the time. And radio stations, they just refused to play Red Gum stuff because they didn't like my voice and they didn't like the politics and they didn't like this and they didn't like that and they didn't like something else. But we were still selling records and drawing as big a crowd as anybody else in the industry at that particular time. It's just that nobody knew because we weren't on Countdown and we weren't getting commercial airplay. Anyway, Fowler walked in, and I remember I was sitting on the floor with my back against the wall after the gig, and I think I told him to fuck off. I remember he said, uh, look, you have every right to tell me to fuck off, and I will, but before I do, let me say this. If we aren't playing your music on the radio, it's we who are irrelevant, not you. And he went back that night and wrote a note to put, I was only 19 on high rotation on 3XY and of course once Fowler picked something up then the rest of the country picked it up because they just ate whatever he did and I remember very shortly after that a couple of nights after that I was driving my car back to Adelaide to get married and I remember driving into Ballarat and hearing I was only 19 through the speaker on the dashboard of my HQ station wagon and thinking wow that's pretty good wow that's the very first time I've heard a, a red gum track played on commercial radio. Thereafter, uh, I lost track of it because I got married a couple of days after and the day after I got married, Denise and I went overseas for a three-month holiday backpacking through Southeast Asia. So I was actually uh, out of the country when I was only 19, went through the roof. There's two videos. There's a video that I did which was done by a Channel 7 news crew that had been brought to the task by a Channel 7 journalist who was actually a Vietnam veteran himself. But there was another clip that Countdown made because when we signed with CBS, they tried to get us on Countdown and Countdown wouldn't have us on because they didn't like my voice and they didn't like the politics and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, I didn't really want to go on it anyway. I thought, ah, fuck them, you know, we'll just refuse to go on Countdown. So we became the band that refused to go on Countdown, might I say, quite some time before Midnight Oil, but history is always written by the bands with the big with the big PA systems from Sydney. But I was the one who turned Countdown's refusal to have us on, on its head, and we became legendary as the band who refused to go on Countdown, which was terrific for us. It was a great promotion. Gave us great cred with the punter. When 19 was number one, they had to acknowledge it, as they did when they did the countdown. And they said, could they play the clip? And I said, no. That's put my face in it. I said, and we're not going on countdown and we're not. So fuck off, make your own clip. So they did. 1987, Australia finally threw its Vietnam veterans a welcome home parade through the streets of Sydney. It was long, long overdue. But I really do think that, that I was only 19 was a popular catalyst that helped drive that. There was a, a great deal of you know, acceptance. There was a sense of national guilt to, you know, at what we'd done to these blokes when they came home. But I do remember flying up to play at it uh, in the domain and it was, you know, 15 years after the end of the war, the Welcome Home Parade. That was a pretty amazing experience. And I remember playing, I was only 19, on my own in the domain and they wheeled Frankie 
and his family on. At that particular stage, Frankie was was in a wheelchair, and uh, they moved, they wheeled him onto the stage with his kids. And I turned around, and, and he was there, and you know, was fighting back a lot of tears that day. It was more than a number one single. Look, in those days, you could get a number one single by selling fifteen thousand copies. That was the reality. We sold over two hundred thousand singles before it was released on the court in the act album. So it was more than number one. It was a story, and Australians respond best to stories. That's the first thing. It gave those of us who hadn't been to Vietnam an insight into the heart and mind of a Vietnam veteran. Helped us look over the fence into the backyard of the Vietnam veteran next door, understand what was going on in his heart and his mind. I think we're also essentially a, a fair and decent mob, and I think when this story came that was really a matter-of-fact narrative that was replete with all the details and had the credibility and support of Vietnam veterans, I think it, it helped change change the way we think. And I, I, I think we, those of us who hadn't been to Vietnam, it gave us a way of saying sorry, I think. You know, you went out and bought the single because the, the artist royalties from the single were going to the Vietnam Veterans Association of Australia. And I think it was a, it was a way of saying, look, we're sorry. We're sorry we didn't think about what it must have been like for you when we were marching down the street. Sorry we didn't respect the fact that it was a war, but a different war to the war that our fathers and our grandfathers fought. Sorry we let the government work you over. Sorry we didn't pay attention when you tried to tell us you were crook. I think it's taught us... You know, in an artistic sense, it, it, it has taught us that you don't have to sing like a yank and you don't have to sing about Las Vegas and Jackson and Memphis and, and, you know, songs can change the world. At the risk of sounding like I'm blowing my own bags, I wrote a song in 15 minutes and I'm immensely grateful that I was chosen to write that song and I'm immensely proud of it. And these observations that I am making about the song, I can only make them in retrospect, upon reflection. I didn't set out to do all those things that I've talked about. I just wrote a song because that's what I did. That's what I do. What a powerful story, Redgum. I was only 19, as told by the man himself, John Schumann. Thanks for joining us this week on Sony Music's Time to Talk on this very special episode where we've sort of taken a masterful song and highlighted it, and we'll do a couple more of those as the series rolls on, and we'll see you back here very soon. Thanks for joining us. (laughs) 